0: Hey there, this is Leanne Baker and welcome to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. Today we're chatting with Marianne Esposito, the creator and host of the nationally televised PBS series, Ciao Italia, and the author of numerous cookbooks, including her most recent Ciao Italia Plant Harvest Cook. In her latest book, Marianne shares her tips for anyone interested in growing their own vegetables and how to cook them Italian style. I am so excited to welcome Marianne to the podcast.
1: Hi. Uh, Hi, Liren, and it's fun to talk with you. And I always like talking about food, so I know you do, too. So (laughs) it's the best subject in the world.
0: Isn't it, though? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked
1: and about how old were you? Oh, well, the first thing I ever cooked if you can believe this, were oatmeal cookies that I made for my husband when he was in medical school. So the only problem was that I caused a fire and wound up with first degree burns in the emergency room. So I always remember the first thing I cooked uh, because I I was baking these cookies in a gas oven and I was deathly afraid of matches. So you had to light the pilot light, right? Mm -hmm. So I took this big wad of newspaper and then I lit the match to the newspaper to put into the pilot light because I didn't want to put the match directly in there and it went poof (laughs) and that was the end of the cookies and also uh, you know taught me a very good lesson so that was the first thing I ever cooked oh dear when I was married but believe me I cooked a lot of things as a kid because I grew up in one of those typical Italian American households with grandma Mm -hmm. and mom and your aunts and everybody's cooking all the time. So, you know, I, I used to have to singe chicken feathers and help skin the tomatoes when it was, you know, garden season and, and make bread and make pasta and all that stuff. So you know, you as a kid, you kind of resent doing that because you're a kid, you want to ride your bicycle, right? <laughs> but but there I was. And so I learned a lot from these women, even though I, I wasn't too crazy about what I had to do. But it served me well later on in life.
0: Oh, my gosh, I imagine <laughs> you still have the scars from those burns.
1: <laughs> well, uh, no, but I, okay. you know, I mean, it was my hand really that was kind of really bad, but uh, I I recovered and uh, I learned to use matches the, the right way.
0: The so, right way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are hard lessons to learn. Oh, I guess we all yeah. do them. Yes. Well, it sounds like you definitely had a delicious upbringing. Can you tell everyone just a little bit more about what brought you to cooking and how Chow Italia came to be?
1: Sure. Well, you know, in my very first cookbook, which was called Chow Italian, and, and it was published in 1989, I wrote in the introduction that if anyone had told me that I would be doing what I was doing, I would have choked on two meatballs because <laughs> I, the last thing I wanted to do was cook like these women that I just described to you, my grandmothers and my mother, who you know, were always cooking. And I just hated this all summer long. You know, we were it was such tedious work. I just wanted to go to college and become a teacher. That's what I wanted to do. Hmm. So I moved way away from food altogether. And it really wasn't until I made my very first trip to Italy in the mid eighties, actually, that everything that my grandmothers had taught me, told me the stories the this, the that, it was all true. And I thought to myself, of course I was much older then. I said, you know, I have a really nice heritage. I, I, and I began to really embrace it a lot better than I did when I was 16 years old. So I became very curious about Italian food then because I had grown up with it. And so I decided, well, you know, while I'm in Italy, I'm going to go to a cooking school just for the fun of it. Right. Yeah. So I enrolled in this cooking school in Sorrento. And I uh, remember the, the chef's name was Lorenzo Fluss. And I thought kind of a last name is that for a chef teaching Italian, not even Italian, it's Austrian. Ah. But it turned out that he he was half Italian and half Austrian, but he taught us how to make lasagna. And I was very critical of this guy because he was a nice enough guy, but his lasagna sheets were so thick. (laughs) That was not what they were supposed to be because my grandmother and mother always told me that, you know, when you roll out a sheet of lasagna uh, noodles, you have to be able to see your hand behind the sheet. That's when you know they're thin enough. Wow. <laughs> and his were much too thick. So I sort of thought to myself, well, you know, maybe I have a little bit of a foundation here for understanding Italian regional food. So when I came home, I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know, well, maybe I could do a little, you know, a little show for our local community. So I started out teaching adult ed classes about oh. Italian food, what I knew about Italian food. And then I kept going back and forth to Italy. Of course, I was learning a lot more, going to different regions, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's now 31 years later. And I've made like 50 trips to Italy, you know, <laughs> studying in different regions and so on. And so in 1989, I felt confident enough to say to our local TV station, would you like me to do just a local show about Italian regional food? I wasn't even thinking nationwide. That was the last thing. I just thought, well, you know, do something for our community on the cable network here and everyone will learn about meatballs and stuff like that. (laughs) Well, okay. They first refused me because they said, you know, we really don't have a studio to do this and thank you very much for your proposal. But you know, goodbye. And, but they must've kept my proposal because about a year later, they moved into a new studio and they had an, a nice uh, studio A, mm-hmm. which they could use for, you know, putting a set in there. So they said, you know, we're re-looking at your proposal. Why don't you do a pilot show for us? Well, of course I said, yes, having no idea what the heck a pilot show was. Mm-hmm. So they said, we'll do it in your kitchen, in your house Let's see how you do. So now 25 people show up to my kitchen on a hot, hot August day, oh, and yeah, and we do an episode that's supposed to be 26 minutes long and lasts from eight o'clock in the morning to seven o'clock that night, just shooting that. Wow. And I thought, there's no way I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Never too, mind. <laughs> right. Too physical. It's too mental. It, it's just too everything. And so I, you know, I hope they wouldn't air it, but they did. And it got very good review, actually. So that was how Chao Italia started. Because then they said, well, let's do 13 more shows. <laughs> and then they fed it to the PBS network. And, you know, I was kind of in a good place at that point. Because there were no Italian cooking shows out there. You know, there's Julia. Jacques Pepin was out there. other uh, Graham Kerr. Probably you don't rec- maybe know that name because you're too young. But there was really no... Italian regional cooking show and then I came along so I was in the right place at the right time.
0: Well perfect timing and you were the perfect teacher.
1: I mean you ended up teaching anyway. I ended up teaching anyway. I went to college to become a high school history teacher and I loved it but you know when I think about it I really have never moved away from that uh, career because I only have a bigger classroom now which is television. And I'm still teaching you about Italian food, about the culture, about the history, the folklore mm-hmm. so I feel very comfortable in that dual role
0: yeah, it's made for you um, yeah. what do you think with over thirty years in production what what has been the secret to the show's longevity?
1: Well, I really think the secret to it is approachability mm-hmm. you know there are since I've been out there, there are many, many different kinds of cooking shows have come along, lots of different genres in cooking shows. And some of them are very good. And some of them can be intimidating. You know, and and Italia just stays that steady course, where it's teaching you about doable, doable foods that you can make in your kitchen with ingredients that you can find. So I'm very aware of that, that I'm talking to an audience that's nationwide. So if you want to make, you know, a goat head soup, you may not find a a goat's head in Wisconsin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I try to make it very approachable with ingredients that people can find and keep true to the authenticity of the recipe. And I think that that has served us well.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think that's such a good reminder for all of us when, you know, like for myself, when I, think about the recipes that I share, there has to be that approachability. Um, So you've written so many books about Italian cooking. Mm -hmm. What made you decide to take it to the garden for this newest book?
1: Well, several things did. First of all, each season we would do two episodes based on the Chao Italia garden, which is also our home garden. Mm -hmm. So I would take viewers into the garden and show you, you know, how do eggplants grow? What do you have to do? To get them to grow. Have you ever seen an artichoke plant? Let me show you. Mm-hmm. So we would always start there, and then from there we would take that produce into the kitchen and do a classic recipe. Maybe like for artichokes, we would do artichokes of Roman style. Uh, so that was that's one one thing that prompted me to do this book. The second thing was the pandemic. Yes, mm-hmm. the pandemic caused us to shut down our production. And I, you know, this happened across the board, right? With a lot of things. So there I was, I had time to think, I had time to write. And so two years into this pandemic, I decided to write this book about the Cia Italia garden. And it actually it, I loved it. You know, I mean, it was a chance to put into a concise uh, book, everything that I've ever learned about Italian vegetables and how to plant them from my husband Gaetano who is the head gardener for Chau Italia, has been for 31 years because in the introduction to this book, Chow Italia, Plant, Harvest, Cook, I say very clearly, everything I know about planting a garden comes from my husband Gaetano, he's tall. Hmm. So this book is for, it's not just for people who wanna garden, you can use this book by going to your farmer's market or the vegetable counter in your grocery store and just picking out great vegetables to make these recipes. So you don't have to have a garden. But that was kind of like an added Benny to the book. You know, let me give you some simple ways to, to plant. I mean, and this is this is not, you know, we're not talking about a very academic approach to this. It's it's simple. We start with with seeds in the basement in under grow lights and we take those little seedlings and we bring them outside when it's warm enough. We dig a hole, we <laughs> put them in the ground, we watch them, we water them, we feed them, they grow. When they're mature, we pick the vegetables and we cook with them. So the, the premise is simple, how to do it is simple. So it's not like you have to have a degree from your you know, extension service at right. the university in order to be able to do this.
0: I love how you scatter so much knowledge, so many tips from your husband and and you. It really does make it more approachable cuz I know that, you know, I get intimidated when it comes to gardening. I grew up with a garden, my mom was an avid mm-hmm. gardener too, but I know that for myself, I still find it, you know, challenging, but you I love how you break it out and you know, and how it's it's just very approachable. Would you say, so Italians are very passionate cooks, passionate eaters, are they passionate gardeners as well? Oh mercy.
1: Yeah. yeah. In the in the introduction to this book, I start out with a story of myself and the TV crew roaming around Umbria, which yes. is the you know, the central part of Italy. And we're looking for things to film. You know, sometimes it's best when you don't have a plan. <laughs> so we're driving along and I see this little guy with a little French beret on, and he's in a garden, he's in his garden, his home garden, just a simple home garden. And I say, stop, stop, stop. We have to we have to talk to this man. <laughs> so we get all our camera crew, we run down the hill. I'm explaining all this in the book. And I introduce myself, tell him, you know, he's looking at us like, where did you people come from? Mm -hmm. And we we say, can we film your garden? Can we ask you some questions about your garden? And you get a real insight into how Italians really revere gardens. Wherever you are, you don't have to be in the countryside. But if you're in Rome, big city, Florence, all you have to do is look up. Look up to a balcony, an apartment balcony. And what are you going to see? Pots of tomatoes, mm. pots of basil, pots of wherever there is a smidge of room, whether it be in a pot, a backyard near the railroad station, Italians are going to plant a garden. It's in their DNA. It's in my DNA. Right. And so, you know, yeah. Without what are we going to do without a garden? Heck, it's like cutting <laughs> off your arm, you know. But you don't have to have a garden. You can you do you can plant in pots.
0: Yeah. I love how you were talking about eggplant earlier, and it just reminded me of the section in your book where you dive into eggplant, and your, yeah. your Nona Galasso act <laughs> so funny. I have to tell you, my mother's maiden name is Galoso, so oh. I was just like, I wonder if there's like some, wow. you know, it's so close, right? It but, is. Right? But anyway, can you tell everyone about her feud with
1: <laughs> Nona, Nona Saporito? Yeah, so funny. <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed that story. Yes, these two, it was. it's called the Kingdom of Eggplant, according to Nona. <laughs> and Nona means grandmother, obviously. So I had these two Southern Italian grandmothers, right? My, my Neapolitan grandmother, the Galasso mm-hmm. grandmother, the Galuso, mm-hmm. lived with me. So I grew up with her. Grandma Saporito, she lived a ways away in Rochester, New York, and it was our duty every weekend to visit her and have, you know, she would have the, the big, huge Sunday sauce supper and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, the two of them, you know, were just at odds because Nona Saporito was Sicilian. And, you know, if you're Sicilian, it you just do it a certain way mm-hmm. and there's no wavering. Nona Galasso is Neapolitan, right? So she's got her way of doing this. So neither of them would ever consider each other's recipes. That was just a no-no. And each one thought that they were, of course, the best cook, which, of course, we had to go along with this. So, you know, Nona Saporito kind of felt left out because we only saw her on the weekends. Mm -hmm. Whereas Nona Galasso, she had our attention all week long. So she was cooking away and you know, and, and it was just great that she could provide for everybody. So in the week, so she was so Nona Saporito was a little bit jealous of that. So they would never ever trade a recipe for eggplant. So Nona Galasso had her way of doing it, and she would eat, she wouldn't even consider tasting Nona Saporito's wow. <laughs> eggplant. So it's a story, just evolves like this. And it's, <laughs> but you know, it brings up a really good point because it just goes to prove. What I've been saying for thirty-one years: how local, regional food is. Mm-hmm. You're going to bake an eggplant parmigiana in Sicily; it isn't going to bear any resemblance to the one we're going to make at Naples mm-hmm. or in Puglia or anywhere else in Italy. It's just that localized.
0: Yeah, it's so. I love the differences within regions. Which one is your? favorite when it comes to the eggplant parmesan, if you had to pick one?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad they're not here. <laughs> they, may, they may be listening. I think they're both great. You know, they're, they're both great. Um, if I had to pick one, I would say my Sicilian grandmother, because mm. the tomatoes there, the tomatoes that she made, the, the canned tomatoes were very, very good. And, you know, they were just a little bit more flavorful. So her sauce was a little bit more flavorful, but they were both good. They were both good. <laughs> You're so
0: diplomatic. <laughs> well, we have to talk about tomatoes since you brought it up. I yeah. love that pomodoro. I didn't know this translates to apple of gold. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite varieties to grow?
1: Well, my very favorite one is the pianolo. The pianolo is a tomato. It's like um, it's a big cherry tomato that has a pointed end. it's almost like a teardrop mm. looking it's it's very very meaty and it's a tomato that italians dry southern italians will dry this tomato to have through the winter months mm-hmm. so if you're in italy you know in the summer and, and in uh, early fall you'll see these hanging up on ropes because the the word pienolo actually means to hang to something hanging down. So they would thread these tomatoes on these ropes and they and they, they would let them dry. That's one tomato that I like. The other one that I that I like like is a plum tomato called redorta. And the reason I like the redorta is because, first of all, it's heavy in your hand, it's pulpy, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a lot of seeds, it's not super acidic, and it makes a great sauce. And what I've told people now is that forget all this canning stuff. Oh my gosh, you know, get out the can or do the, I did all that when I was a kid. No, what I do now is the light bulb went on. I've been doing this for several years now. I go in the garden because my husband usually puts in 60 tomato plants. Don't even add. Right. Don't 60. Right. Of course, most of this we give away. So what I do with the plums is I take them directly from the garden and i put them in plastic bags in the freezer none of this cook it down skin them and all that you mm. don't have to do that anymore you could just take those frozen tomatoes put them in a soup pot cook them down put them use an immersion blender mm-hmm. or you know or a vitamix if you have one and bingo you know so tomato. much easier oh tell me yeah <laughs> And the other thing I invested in several years ago was a dehydrator because mm-hmm. that'll pay for itself in no time. So if you want to make tomatoes in olive oil, and you can find a recipe for this in the book, obviously, but you, you would dry your plum tomatoes. I've dried cherry tomatoes, too, where you cut them in half, you put them on the dehydrator racks. You just set it until these dry enough so that they're like bendable, like a dried apricot. You don't yeah. want to make them like potato chips, but dry enough, like, you know, bendable dried apricot. And then you layer them with salt and olive oil, cap them. And then you can either water bath them to seal them. Okay. Or you can keep them in the refrigerator either way. Mm. And And, and that'll last indefinitely in the refrigerator? Indefinitely. You could keep them indefinitely as long as they're covered with oil. So if you take some out, You want to put another layer of olive oil over the top so there's no air getting in there yeah and i use these for bruschetta for pizza for for you know casseroles for you know just about anything really wow i make a great pesto out of those by just grinding them up and adding some capers some red wine Mm. some oregano and you just cook up some pasta it's Uh. it's easy why are not people cooking more? It you know I think we're we're going back to this. We want to know where our food comes from and what's in it. I, I think that's so timely right now. And so a book like this, I think, is is um, is something that can teach you that you know you don't have to spend hours in the kitchen. You can create good food in minimal time. Right, because your ingredients are so fresh
0: because you grew it
1: yourself exactly or you bought fresh vegetables mm-hmm. from a farmer's market or or you think to cook in season that's yeah. the other thing that's so important What well, I mean you know I have to control myself when I'm in the grocery store I realize that I, I I'm just being impatient but it's winter time right yeah. and I'm watching these people buy these rock hard tomatoes and what I mm-hmm. really want to say is why are you wasting money on something that isn't it's just gonna taste like paper it mm-hmm. doesn't think cooking in season with ingredients that are in season that that's a perfect commandment of italian food in yeah. season yeah
0: that makes the most sense it reminds me of when you know i was in school and i had a, i grew up in a very italian american um neighborhood in new york and i just remember my classmates bringing like whole tomatoes and eating them like apples and i i didn't understand that because i didn't grow up you know, with that kind of mindset. I mean, my mom grew stuff, but I just, I would never think to just eat it, but I didn't appreciate how, you know, fresh those tomatoes that they were bringing into school were. And Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so it's the height of summer as we're we're chatting Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Your garden, I'm sure, is bursting at the seams. And I love how you've organized your book by the season. Um, So what are you going to harvest today?
1: Well, I already harvested it this morning before okay. I, I was talking to you. The Meraviglia di Venezia, which I talk about in the book, is a pole bean. It's a, a long, slender yellow pole bean, mm-hmm. and it means the marvel of Venice. It's a pale oh, yellow, it's it's a pale yellow color. It's very prolific. This bean is very prolific because once you start harvesting them, you can't stop. Because mm-hmm. if you do, you're going to be inundated with, you know, all of these. Uh, beans. So you got to pick them frequently. So with those, I usually do a saute with tomato sauce and garlic and onion, and a little bit of fresh basil. Right now we have tons of fresh basil. So we're going to be making a lot of pesto. And the best way to do a pesto is in a mortar. And I tell you in the book, the story of being in Liguria Mm -hmm. and watching the professionals make pesto sauce. And I learned a lot from them. Because first of all, they're very fastidious about how they're going to make pesto. They would never use a food processor. Oh my God. Right. No, that, that's a mortal <laughs> sin. Because mm-hmm. they feel that it bruises the leaves too much. But you know, we have to think wh- who has time and who has a mortar and pestle. Mm-hmm. So if you you're going to do it in a food processor, I give you a few clues as to how you can lessen the brutality. <laughs> <laughs> Of the leaves, which would be first of all, start with the smallest leaves. Don't oh. use the biggest ones. Use the smallest ones because then you just need to maybe pulse once or twice, right? Mm-hmm. So, start with the smallest leaves. Now, in Liguria, they also they start with the smallest leaves anyway, even in the mortar and the pestle. Mm. But what they do is they take out the central vein of the leaf. Now, I mean, I come on, we don't. That's have, a little tedious. It's a little tedious. We don't have time to do that. But if you um you know if you want to do it in a mortar and a pestle, you want to use those tiny, tiny leaves. You want fresh garlic, you want either pine nuts or walnuts, you want salt, coarse salt, because you need that abrasive mm. when you're using the pestle. The pestle is comes from the word pestare, which means to pound down that's mm. mortar and pestle. And then you want to use a really good olive oil. I mean, if you really want to be authentic about this, you would use a ligurian olive oil, you mm-hmm. know, from northern Italy. So, um Right now we're, we're making a lot of pesto and I like it fresh. I don't really like freezing it because it gets dark. You know, yeah. it, I don't, I'm sorry. I just don't, I tried the salt thing where you make layers of salt and leaves, salt and leaves, and you put it in the refrigerator under all this salt and that's yeah. fine. But the leaves do turn gray. Best time to have pesto is just do it now, make it frequently. Mm-hmm. When summer's over, it's a wonderful memory.
0: <laughs> i'm glad you said that because i have frozen pesto and yeah I honestly i'll throw it away i
1: know yeah
0: <laughs> i just can't I hear use you. it
1: yeah yeah i know the one thing i do do is i will take the leaves big leaves and i'll i'll put them in sandwich bags mm-hmm. and freeze them and then i throw those into when i'm making sauce ah. that i that i could do but other than that i, I just want to use it got it and the other thing coming out of the garden right now are different kinds of eggplants we have purple eggplant Japanese eggplant we have anina a striped uh, eggplant violet color with white striping and we've I've done several things with them of course the, the typical parmigiana which if you want to make a parmigiana that you can freeze so in the summer I make a lot of those but my best thing to do with eggplant is to make Sicilian caponata, Mm. because caponata is, you know, the thing is, you can make a lot of that, you can put it in glass jars, and freeze it. And it is, when you defrost, it, it's like you just made it, it's fabulous. So if you want to, you know, preserve some of your eggplant, make caponata. Oh, I can't wait to try that. And the thing about making caponata Sicilian style, because, you know, a lot of people try to make it, but if you're going to make it Sicilian style, you will notice that you've got to uh, you've got to use not only classic ingredients, but you have to treat cooking each one individually. So you've got celery, you cook that separately. You got onions, you got to cook that separately. That you know you've got your eggplant. You got you're going to add a, a really classic Arabic ingredient to this sauce to the uh, caponata, which is cocoa. So cocoa oh. gives gives a beautiful kind of like finish to the caponata. A lot of people go, cocoa? Yes, cocoa. Not a lot, but you know, and it just it's just a dish that sings to you. And really, there's no real translation for the word caponata. If you want to make a translation, you probably would have to say it's it's a sweet and sour eggplant relish. That's how I would describe it. That's a good way. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good way. That's a good way. So in Sicily you have you know caponata is coming out of your ears. You you travel there, (laughs) you're gonna have caponata.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. Right now I can't travel, but I will make up another and I'll pretend I'm in Sicily. Yes. (laughs) Marianne, I love chatting with you. I can't believe time has flown, but I have some quick closing questions before I let you go. What is something that you make when you're too tired to cook?
1: I make cacio pepe. Mm. Cacio pepe is just pasta that you're going to make a sauce with good pecorino cheese, grated pecorino cheese, black pepper. And a little bit of the pasta water. You need a lot of cheese grated. You need some of that water mixed in with the the cheese and black pepper. You've cooked the pasta. And now you're going to toss it in a saute pan with the cheese and the pepper. Cacio pepe. Classic.
0: Mm, So simple, too. Yeah. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most?
1: I think it would be the timbalo. The timbalo Mm. di melanzane, which is a cake. That's uh, made in a springform pan with big um, layers of eggplant that are draped over the pan. Mm-hmm. And then f- the inside of the springform pan is filled with bucatini, which is a pasta with a hole in it. Tiny, tiny meatballs, popatine, made with veal, pork, and beef. Uh, peas and cheese. Fold over the tops of the eggplant, put the sauce over the top. Bake.
0: You're making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Are you messy or neat in the kitchen in, in real oh, life?
1: I am very neat. And even if ah. you've watched my shows, I tell you, I'm a one-pan girl. Mm-hmm. I think clean before I start cooking. What can I cook in this pan that I can then use the pan without having to wash it for the next ingredient? Mm. So, so, yeah, I don't like a messy kitchen. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> What's a good kitchen tip? Oh, my goodness. A good kitchen tip. Mm-hmm. Well, or a cooking tip. A good kitchen tip, number one, is make sure that if you want to cook well, you have the right equipment to cook with. And I mean good pans, not these pans that have, you know, the bottoms that don't sit flat mm-hmm. on your cooktop. And if possible, cook with gas. I am not an electric person cook. Because yeah. I, I'm impatient and I, I don't like waiting for that, but I like to cook with gas. Also, make sure that the one thing you better have in your kitchen in terms of utensils are Good knives that yes. you sharpen on a weekly basis, because a dull knife is a dangerous knife.
0: Mm-hmm. I know that well. Yeah. Um, and every week I try to share five little things with my audience. Something that made me smile. Is there something that made you smile this week?
1: Oh, I know what made me smile this week. I went up to my blueberry bushes. This year, I have had a war with the birds. Oh, but what no. I did was, I got this very fine mesh and I put it over the uh, the bushes. And mm-hmm. now my blueberries are turning purple.
0: Oh, wonderful. <laughs> no
1: birds. <laughs> that made me smart. <laughs> oh,
0: good for you. You won that battle. <laughs> yeah, I won that battle. <laughs> well, Marion, I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Where can everyone find you and your newest book?
1: Well, they can find me on ChowItalia.com. They can find me on their local PBS station. They can find me on Create, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And they can find my book at on Amazon or Pathway Book. They can go to our website and order the book or any independent bookstore. They'll be able to find Plant Harvest Cook. And I hope they enjoy it as much as I enjoyed writing it.
0: Oh, I know. I'm going to be cooking from it. Th- I've bo- marked so many recipes. I cannot wait. Thank you again for spending time with me today.
1: Thank you, and I hope we get to talk again. Me too. I really enjoyed it. All right. Ciao,
0: ciao. Ciao. Oh my gosh, Marianne was such a joy, wasn't she? I am already planning next year's garden and can't wait to cook all her recipes. Thank you again to Marianne for joining us today and to you for listening. If you enjoy the show, please take a moment to rate, review, and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking.